0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm
1: so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites, clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So we're in kind of a never-never land on coronavirus relief is the $600 additional unemployment insurance expired in July and a lot of people out of work are not in a position to pay their normal expenses and so the economy has hit a slowdown again. It's why for the first time in weeks the Republicans and the Democrats are trying to reach a new stimulus package but and i think they will reach one don't know the size what it will contain but i think it's likely that they are going to cut a deal just because neither party knows the consequences for them in november if they don't make a deal but in the meantime the president issued an executive order for a few weeks of time of Additional unemployment, cutting the 600 to 300, and money that would be paid through the month of September. Well, so far, 40 of the 50 states, as of just a few hours ago, we're up to 40, have said that they want to participate, but only six have the things in place with their computer systems and their processes in order to be able to pay that money. So what will typically happen for people who've been unemployed during the period covered by the president's executive order is that people who were eligible but haven't received the money will likely receive it retroactively once your state is up and running to pay the additional $300. And this is just a Band-Aid on a problem of extremely high unemployment in the united states and we're at somewhere around ten and a half percent stated unemployment the real number somewhere more like 16 percent so that means we've got uh, many tens of millions of americans that are really really hurting and this is a hard hard thing for people there is a A list available as to when states expect to maybe start paying the unemployment but I've gone through the list and I don't even want to start stating from it because it's so wishy-washy I think we're gonna have to wait for people who are unemployed to be notified that it is available in your state. Now the other thing that is underway today is employers will have an option of not collecting from you money temporarily for Social Security and Medicare to try to fatten up your check just a little bit. But it's only uh, like a temporary loan to you. And unless there was a decision by Congress to take funding away from Social Security and Medicare, this money will have to be made up by you and me if your employer permits this and the catch-up would start after the first of the year so the idea of having a payroll tax holiday is to try to give people a little more money who are working a little more money to spend but it's only a temporary thing that rebounds with the money needing to be made up because social security and medicare are both very short of money and if congress did decide in its wisdom to not have this money have to be paid back september to december that's their that's a decision they can make the problem with it is that it makes the deficits of social security and medicare more severe and forwards the date when they will be short of money to pay recipients of social security and recipients of medicare and typically the congress doesn't want to mess with people's social security benefits or their medicare benefits so i imagine that this is not likely to become any kind of long-term thing where we won't pay in to fund social security and medicare and i want to explain that it's going to be confusing because employers don't have to allow this. Employers can continue to collect the Social Security and Medicare tax out of your paycheck and forward it on to the government as normal or they can choose to not collect it but it doesn't eliminate the obligation for that money. So this is a um, pretty messy thing and I'm hoping that the Congress will come up with a deal that everybody can not necessarily be happy with, but everybody can agree to, and we move away from these, this hodgepodge of ad hoc kind of things because I'm not a fan, you can probably tell by what I've said, I'm not a fan of the payroll tax relief on, and it's not really relief, it's just a delay on social security and medicare because i don't want anybody who is a recipient of social security or medicare to worry that they're not going to get their money and we've got to collect the money in order to pay two recipients of both programs it's time for your questions for me and you can post a question for me at clark.com/ask Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, who do you start with today with a question? Today we're
0: starting with Tony from Florida. And Tony says, my daughter just got her first job out of college. She was hired as an independent contractor making about $37,000 a year. I'm wondering if she should start an LLC and what's the best way for her to make estimated tax payments so she doesn't get hit with a big bill at the end of the year?
1: So unless the work she's doing creates a liability problem for her, because essentially she's operating as her own one-person company, working as an independent contractor, it's an unnecessary step for her at this particular stage of her life to set up a limited liability company, an LLC. Um, Having said that, whether she was to set up an LLC or not, because no taxes are being withheld from her pay that she's getting as an independent contractor, she is supposed to make the estimated payments. What happens if she doesn't do them and they're really easy to set up, um, if she doesn't make them what happens is when she files taxes next year she would owe a penalty for not paying in withholding on a timely basis The penalty is not very friendly, but not very large right now, because interest rates that the IRS charges, because the interest rates prevailing in the economy, are pretty low. But all she has to do is go to irs.gov, and the search box, put in estimated payments, and they will walk her through how to do them. And it's a very, very simple process, four times a year, you just mail in a check, based on what you've been earning, you pay in the withholding that you think would have been withheld from a a normal paying job where they withhold taxes, you just pay them in yourself. The one ugly thing for her is, I was just talking about Social Security and Medicare, she has to pay double tax. She has to pay both the employer portion and the employee portion, approximately 15.3% will have to go into those programs And that's the biggest unwelcome thing of all about being a self-employed individual. The other thing, though, is she has access to doing a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension, which will directly reduce the overall tax bill she would have. It's a very flexible retirement account. Takes nothing in terms of time to set up. And she's able to shelter A meaningful portion of her income each year if she can afford to do so. Joel?
2: Clark Judy in California says I'm happy that mortgage rates are so low now and I'm considering refinancing before the December 1st fee increase. Our current mortgage on a rental home is 7%, and we have. Whoa! Right? It says we have $29,000 and three years left on that mortgage out of the original 30. I don't have any projects in mind to use the money from, this, from a cash-out refinance, but the uh, low rates seem too good to pass up. Would it make sense to invest the cash if I were to do a cash-out refi on this property?
1: So I don't recommend any kind of refi in this circumstance with a balance of 29000 Even though you're paying a headline very high interest rate, there's not really a great way to go on it but what you could do is an alternative and ironically enough I had a a question a week or two ago that was somewhat similar to yours where it made sense to do something I wouldn't normally recommend in this environment but for you I would and that is to take out a home equity line of credit if you can get approved for one on this property Pay, out, pay off the $29,000 mortgage. You're going to pay it off in three years, and you will get a much lower interest rate on that HELOC, and the closing costs on a HELOC are extremely low. So that would be an alternative that you could consider. You may even be able to find a personal loan that would be lower than that mortgage rate that you could take out over three years and wipe out that balance at a lower interest rate than the seven percent but the worst that would happen is you just pay out the loan for three more years at that rate which would be more cost effective and efficient than you doing any kind of cash out refi. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard show. Hello Joe how you doing?
3: I'm good thank you for taking
1: my call Clark I appreciate it. Absolutely so you are uh, approaching retirement age, and at the same time, you're buying a house. Tell me about all that.
3: Yes, like next year, I'll be uh, I'm sixty. gonna be sixty one in a few months, and by sixty two, I like to uh, like retire. And I'm looking to buy a house, and house it around two hundred thousand. But I have three in my four hundred one k, so I'm not sure like what percentage I should use for the house, knowing that I got to pay taxes on it because it's a four hundred one you know four hundred one plan
1: yeah you're subject to no penalty for using that money but at the same time you're creating a penalty of lack of flexibility if you take a lot of that 401k money and put it towards the purchase of a home because you can't eat your home you know if you if you kill off your your available cash by piling it all in the house you're creating risk for yourself later in your 60s or beyond that when you need money, you don't have access to money. So Right, that's what... Okay. So do you own a home right now or are you a renter?
3: No, I'm renting right now, but I would be getting like a small pension too. It would be like only $1,500 a month, but um, that's just...
1: Only? It's Let me stressful. tell you something. Most people oh, listening to you would be thrilled to have $1,500 a month coming in from a pension are you going to take social security at age 62 is that your plan
3: well my plan is to tell you the truth i'm gonna um try and go month to month and see if i could do it without it and then if i do need it i will take it like that i was just gonna try it first in other words but okay if, if i have to take it i will
1: and do you have savings to make a down payment on the two hundred thousand dollar house
3: yeah i have like a ten savings i also have another 20 in a Roth.
1: Okay, I want you to leave the Roth money alone. the okay. The key would be to come up with forty thousand dollars for okay. a down payment, so that you avoid private mortgage insurance on the mortgage. Okay. So if you have three hundred thousand in your four hundred one k, I would take forty of it out, so you okay. can drop the amount of the mortgage to one hundred and sixty. And do you know what the monthly mortgage payment would be approximately?
3: I'm looking at $1,100, $1,000, $1,200. It's like a $200,000 house, $210,000 house.
1: Okay. So if you're paying, uh, so you're paying basically what people pay for rent, you'd be paying in a mortgage. That's great. And will you have a big association fee or anything like that?
3: No, they're actually like only $34 a month, the uh, HOA, and they've been like that for like 10, 20 years. Excellent. Nothing's going to
1: shoot up. So I hate for you to have a mortgage going into retirement, but in your case, the the economics makes sense. The $1,500 pension will go a long way for you in covering a lot of your living costs, and will you do any part-time work in your 60s?
3: I might, yes. I think just to keep busy, I will uh, maybe, you know, a couple days a I would say week for more than something.
1: keeping busy, I think it would be to your big financial advantage if you work some and okay. had enough money with the pension and what you earn from working some to maybe even delay that Social Security, because every year you delay, your Social Security checks bigger and stays bigger throughout your retirement years. But... um I I think that the one last thing I want to ask you that I've been just waiting to ask you is how certain are you where this $200,000 property is, is where you want to live out your days?
3: Well, see, I want to be within two hours of my kids and they're going to be in like an hour away. So I would say I'm going to probably end up there really because, you know, if I do something Vacation place in Florida, but I think this will probably be the place.
1: Perfect. All right. So you're doing the right thing. And I'd take the 40K as we talked about. That's all I'd use from the 401K money. Okay. And then carry that mortgage. It's not a terrible mortgage payment. And okay. you should be good. And I hope you really, really love your life in retirement. But remember, I want you to be in semi-retirement not full retirement at least for a while in your 60s. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard show where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So much automation is coming in our future it's just amazing to think about the changes that are coming and the way we do things and a lot of things are going to happen quicker than most of us expect because you know we're busy with our own lives and the way things are but something that's gotten virtually no coverage at all is Amazon has received approval from the FAA to operate a fleet of of Prime Air, what they call Prime Air delivery drones. These are uh, non-line-of-sight drones. If you don't know what that means, historically the FAA has required that the use of drones be only within line-of-sight, meaning that the person operating that drone can see the full flight of that drone. What's so significant about what Amazon... UPS, and an operation called Wing, which is funded by the parent of Google, they have all received approval from the FAA for drone deliveries without line of sight. So someone in a control center or a package delivery center could load a package into the drone and it would fly off to its destination deliver the package to you, and then fly back. And this is not some kind of sci-fi thing that's going to happen when our great-grandkids are running around. This is something that you're going to see happen gradually at first and then rapidly. The idea is to be able to deliver things much, much, much faster than even what we have now with an elimination of much of the labor cost. So do you know how long Amazon's been testing delivery drones? It's taken them seven years to get it right. Seven years. But now they think it, it really is together. And the idea of the drones is they will not take a big, heavy package. The maximum weight of any package will be five pounds, although I'll tell you if the drone malfunctioned and you got hit by a five-pound package, that would not be pretty. And they'll be able to deliver in a 15-mile radius. So this is really a for-real thing And Amazon expects to be delivering packages this way in what they say is just a few months. So they're not saying in 2020, but it's very, very likely that you're going to see this in 21. And there's all kinds of flying automation that's going to happen. I don't know if you saw, because it was in a foreign country, if you saw any of the media coverage of the Japanese flying car that is an electric flying car and it's really kind of Jetsons-like and it's not ready for prime time. Sorry for the Amazon reference. The Japanese flying car for people is not ready to transport people autonomously around Tokyo or whatever, but they're getting much closer. Now, if you go to more conventional air travel, just want to quickly update you. I've told you how United has followed Southwest's longtime policy and eliminated junk fees for changing your booking um, on most United fares. And since United did that, now Delta, American, and Alaska have done so. Still waiting to see what JetBlue is going to do. But the idea of charging people $200 to change a ticket they paid 138 round trip for is something that the public despises and now the airlines have done away with it united says they've done it permanently i don't believe anything's permanent in the air travel business but right now the airlines are hurting trying to fill seats and so they're all jumping on united's bandwagon with eliminating change fees the one exception is if you buy an ultra-cheap economy basic ticket that still remains non-changeable, non-refundable. It's time for your questions you posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. And Joel, I think it's your turn. You would be wrong. It's oh, my no! turn. <laughs> how, many, how many times in a row have I been right? You I have had out? a streak going, buddy. Oh, a I'm streak.
0: sorry. Kim. Sorry you broke it. I didn't it. mean to diss you. <laughs> All good. This is from Mark in Massachusetts. And Mark says, I have a deposit account with a large local savings bank. It has been announced that they are going public, which means that I have the opportunity to purchase stocks pre-IPO at about $10 a share. Over the years, I've heard some of my wealthier friends refer to an opportunity like this as a great windfall. They even open accounts at a wide variety of small mutual banks in hopes that something like this would happen. They call it Banco bunco. I hope that I can buy the stocks cheap, and then in a few years, the IPO of the bank gets acquired by one of the big evil corporate megabanks, and then (laughs) I make a killing. What do you think?
1: So it is a relatively low-risk purchase uh, when a savings bank converts to stockholder-owned as to whether it's a way to get rich. It's not necessarily, and it's a tough environment right now for a bank going through an IPO because conditions are not ideal right now with uh, the interest rates being repressed in the economy and people having a tough time maybe more likely to default on their debts. So this is not a slam dunk. I would not put money into a uh, pre-IPO purchase of shares. That's money that you are going to absolutely depend on but I think it's a worthwhile thing because you know the operation of this savings bank you've been a customer of it you know how they treat people you like it you've stayed there so buying in is although it's not a no risk transaction it's not a high risk it's a low risk kind of thing but again not money that you'd lose sleep over if it didn't turn into a good number down the road Joel.
2: Clark Margo in Virginia says, we were given a timeshare at Hilton Head, South Carolina. It's time to get rid of it. Given? Yeah. Okay. She says, we were already scammed by an exit company. We'll never see that money again. Now we're focusing on not losing more money through maintenance fees. We listed it for sale, for rent, and asked for a deed back. Nothing. Do I have any other options, Clark?
1: I wish I could tell you there was a way out, but unfortunately- timeshares are a defective industry because there are lots of sellers no buyers and so generally you have to pay somebody to take over your timeshare obligation and if you don't pay those fees what happens is you can end up with a legal action against you at worst and at best generally your credit will be heavily harmed So as bitter a pill as it is to swallow, I encourage you, unless conditions change with the timeshare industry in the future, that you suck it up and pay those timeshare dues that you owe, and then use that week. Use your time there so that it's not just money down a rat hole. I wish I had a better answer for you, but the timeshare thing is an ugly ugly story from the day you buy it till the day you find out you can't sell it and beyond kim
0: may in minnesota says i leased a car and now i love it It gets over 50 miles a gallon it's very comfortable and we travel a lot i know i will be buying this car at the end of the lease but i'm wondering should i see if i can buy it now or should i wait for the three years till the lease ends
1: Uh, And it's generally a case that you want to wait till the end of the three years. But especially with the distortions going on right now in the used vehicle marketplace, you want to wait because any deal that you would have in the contract language of the lease or that you would attempt to negotiate would be inferior to just waiting out the three years. And right now you love it, love it, love it. Let the full clock run. See if you still feel just as strongly three years into the lease and then buy it either under the terms of the lease or if the residual in the lease is too high, you'll then have a choice you're going to need to make. You approach the company that has the lease. Hopefully it's a bank and not one of the manufacturers. See if you can negotiate a reduced residual buyout because the, if the residual is too high, you're overpaying for the vehicle. Or you may find if the residual is too high, you walk away. If the residual is good, stated in the lease, just know you know the history of the vehicle and pay them the money that the residual calls for. Joel?
2: Clark Jake in Wisconsin says one of the large cell phone carriers offers $10 off per month per line if you enroll in their auto pay program. Uh, so, for example, you get in a three-line plan thirty dollars off a month. When enrolling in auto pay, you must use a debit card or checking account to yes. receive the discount. Credit cards are not accepted. So, my question is: Are the potential savings if you're enrolling in an auto pay program worth the potential risk of your checking account or debit card being compromised, since they don't have the same safeguards that credit cards have?
1: I would say that in this case, it's worth it when you're saving that much money a month. The potential risk of a compromise of your account is worth it because of the amount of money over the course of a year you'd save uh, $360. That is worth the chance you'd be taking. Now there is an alternative that people do and that is they'll set up an account with an online bank you know there's no minimums no fees and set that up with some money in it for the auto debit each month and that way the only money that's at risk is the money that you would have placed in there specifically to pay this cell phone auto debit. And then you would have uh, close as you could to zero risk if something were to go wrong with the account being hacked. Or another case is when after you're done with that cell phone company, they keep accidentally debiting you anyway.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: I'm great. Clark, how are you? Great, thank you. So you have been a diligent saver for your future for a long time, and uh, you're in a position where now you've got what seems like too much of a good thing, too many different accounts rolling around your life. Is that right?
5: Yes, and it's too much to track effectively, much less know if we're reasonably diversified. We've got his and hers of everything, it seems like and ours
1: <laughs> wow what kind of accounts do you have let me make a list as you talk
5: okay well we each have uh Roths. we each have traditional and somehow my husband has a second traditional ira we have rollover iras he has a 401k that's still at a former company he has an active 403b because he's an adjunct professor And we have investments also, some are in his name and some are in our names.
1: Okay, so as far as duplication, what we've got here is we've got one 401k that he's got, but you don't have any 401ks, is that right? Correct. All right, and then the 403b he's got from the side job, and then the rollover IRA, let's talk about that. That came from uh, former jobs, 401k? Correct. Okay, so there's a couple of options with that. Let's talk about downsizing numbers of accounts right here. So the rollover IRA could potentially uh, go into the 401k that he has. Is that from a current job or former job? Former. Former, okay, so that's not going to work. What about taking the 401k money, the rollover IRA money and hopefully one of the traditionals that he has because you say he had two traditional IRAs. Yes. That one of those is with a low cost company, please tell me.
5: Uh I'm 90% certain it's with Fidelity.
1: Okay. So if he was able if he took the old 401k, the rollover IRA and that other traditional IRA and merged all of those into the one traditional at Fidelity, that would reduce the clutter you have in your life a lot. Okay. The only flexibility he'd give up is that rollover IRA could, at some point in the future, go into a future employer's 401k plan. But really, this is just, you're right. There's too many statements, too many accounts. And give up that one bit of flexibility by getting all those together into that uh, one traditional IRA. And you eliminate one, two, three accounts just right there. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk about the, um, your, okay, so you have a traditional, he has two, go down to one. So one each, that's okay. each have your own Roth IRA. That's okay. Um, so we eliminate that 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 all right so the last thing the investment accounts so you've got one that he's got just with investments he owns and then there's one that you own together but you don't have your own investment account is that right
5: no i don't think so okay uh and we have two that have both of our names on them
1: so you have two at two different firms yes all right so that would be a case that whichever firm is the lower cost firm that you eliminate one of those move the holdings in it over to the other firm okay there uh if you can just move holdings over there's no tax consequences you'd eliminate another account okay and i know this is all a a bit overwhelming But better that you be overwhelmed by having all these accounts, which means you've been saving all this money and investing all this money, than have none or just a few.
5: Yes, we understand we've been blessed that way.
1: But definitely cleaning this up would be a big help to you for planning going forward. And within the retirement accounts, there's no tax implication at all of moving the money like I've described. And the, if it is Fidelity, you can go into Fidelity with all the statements you've got from all these stray accounts, and Fidelity will do the paperwork for you that you just have to sign, and will handle moving the money from all those into the one Fidelity traditional IRA that your husband would keep, and you'd clean up a lot of the hassle you've got right now. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.